Hello, I'm Jeff Bird, the producer of the More Than A Shop podcast. This series was recorded before the outbreak of the coronavirus pandemic. We felt it would seem odd to release further episodes without acknowledging what's happening in the world and considered delaying or adapting the series. In the end, we decided that this is perhaps the perfect time to consider new ways of doing things, as we all imagine a different future. More Than A Shop covers some of the big topics of the day, before coronavirus came into our lives, but there are issues and topics that aren't going anywhere. We hope More Than A Shop provides some light and inspiration in these difficult times. With that in mind, here's our latest episode. Please enjoy and share. Hello and welcome to More Than A Shop, hosted by me, Elizabeth Holker. We're welcoming guests with something new and radical to say about the big issues of the day. Well, the flavour of the series is a search for new alternative ideas in the spirit of the worldwide cooperative movement, which happens to have started in my hometown of Rochdale. Well, co-ops proudly offer radical alternatives to mainstream ways of getting things done. They are indeed so much more than a shop. Well, today we're looking at an area that I'm very involved in, the music industry, which has been undergoing waves of transformation for decades since the arrival of the internet and more recently streaming services. The old ways of producing, distributing and listening to music have now changed forever. But where does this leave musicians, musicians who want to make a living and the audiences who want to support them? Can a fairer industry exist where artists, record labels, promoters and fans have a more equitable relationship? And how might cooperative ownership play its part? Well, joining me to discuss all of this, it's BBC Six Music DJ Chris Hawkins and Terry Tilsley, blogger, musician and chair of the board at music streaming cooperative Resonates. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Hi, Elizabeth. So later I'm going to ask both of you for a key challenge facing the industry and a radical idea to change it. But I'd just like to find out a little bit more about what you do, Terry. On a day-to-day basis, on what a does your job basis. look like? Uh, I have many hats and um, they're all equally interesting, but I'm a, a producer uh, of music and also events, and that includes may include remixing or putting on Music Tech Fest in Berlin. It varies a lot. A musician, my key band is Feral Five, but I also guest and collaborate and do some solo more sound art projects and most importantly I believe I'm chair of the board at Resonate the ethical music streaming cooperative and that involves both outreach to artists and labels uh, speaking at conferences and events like COPS Congress and also making sure that uh, that we're growing and running smoothly and the artists are very well represented even at board level. Okay, and Chris, we used to work together at Six Music. You are still there. Tell us on a day-to-day basis what you do. Well, it sounds so much less impressive than anything Terry's just said. I talk in between songs on the radio for two and a half hours every day, and it really is as simple as that. Okay, fantastic. So what is the big challenge from where you're both sitting in in your jobs and and what you see on a day-to-day basis? What is the big challenge facing the industry, Chris? Right, well, I think that musicians need to be able to make a, a decent living out of music and I think that it's easier than ever to make music and it's harder than ever to be heard so I think the challenge is finding ways for young bands to actually make a career out of music. And this is because people aren't prepared to pay for it anymore. Well it seems 
that less and less people want to pay for that service for for their their skill base but i don't have a solution at this moment so you've said that yes we'll discuss issues but at this moment i'm hoping that over the course of the next half hour or so that maybe we can find some solutions okay and terry the big challenge for you from where you're sitting what's the, what's the biggest challenge the industry's facing i think it's very um complementary to what chris was talking about so it's how artists can uh, you know have a, a fair and equal system and be part of it but also most importantly how they can own it because artists don't have a real stake in the industry at the moment especially in streaming and we believe very strongly at resonate that artists should own the tech they use. How much is it that people just don't expect to pay for music now and are we turning people's heads a little bit on that issue? Are people coming back to the you know, the idea that maybe they do have to pay for it? Because there was a time where, you know, Napster, for instance, you could just get everything for free. But are people coming around maybe more to the fact now that they might have to pay something? I think people are because they're becoming more aware of the money that, that's floating around, particularly on the on the tech side. And people are much more aware that artists are often not getting a, a fair reward for the work they do. And you'll always have um, you know, the early adopters, and it's almost like the early adopters are going back to, to trying to support artists in the most direct way they can. And we're talking about um, streaming services perhaps being a problem, the fact that people don't expect to pay being a problem. But actually, is the fact that music can now go online, you know, the artists can put their own music online, they can build their own audience, they don't need the industry, that means they can go and tour, so they're still, they can still make a living through live, perhaps more readily than they could in the past. Yeah, I, so I've got a 10-year-old daughter who loves music, but she would never in a million years think that she has to pay to listen to her favourite songs. So she will listen to most of her music on YouTube. So the shelves and shelves of CDs and vinyl that I own are my personal collection that that an old person in her <laughs> mind owns. Why on earth, in her mind, would you buy something that you can get for free? It's all there at the touch of a button. Yeah, the idea and that you might have to go to a record shop so and buy the record before you can even hear well, it. Well, imagine that. Imagine doing that, saving so up your pocket quickly, money to yeah. buy music. So what I'm saying, what I think, Terry, the where I'm not sure about what you're saying is, yes, more people might be considering of of our age group or, or of a certain age that yes, okay, musicians should be rewarded for what they've made, but that might be for, okay for us. But my daughter. I don't think that generation, or the next generation, if you like, will think the same. I think we're at a, a very interesting juncture in, in that the joy of digital is it's almost like punk rock in a way. There's open access, you can upload your music, you can submit it to Radio 6. Uh, but there is that sort of siphoning off, if you like, of the of the money, or a lot of the money, away from the artists. And I don't think we should give up on this. But in terms of artefacts and buying things, the research shows that the biggest age group who are um, buying vinyl is the younger age group. It's the 18 to 24s. And does your daughter not buy branded much? Does she not have a, I don't know, is she into Frozen? Does she have a pillowcase? Yeah, uh, yeah, she is. Things but, uh, are still not, bought. Not necessarily, yeah, when it comes to actual music. And let's not get carried away with this idea that vinyls experience this amazing resurgence. The numbers are still tiny. 
But I think you just have to try and create a fairer ecosystem. I don't think you, I mean, it's like saying, oh, in the 50s, lots of artists got terrible record deals. And that's just how it is. Let's not even yeah, try and change I, it. I do agree with you. But it, I think it's going to be some challenge trying to persuade people that have never paid for music that suddenly you have to. Some people do have premium Spotify, so some people are paying, paying for streaming and paying for music. But for 10, there's some exploring to do. And it's also changing the industry, isn't it? So that these people, the streaming services are giving back to the artists. I mean, that's a big part of the battle. I think what's very interesting is the um, the language in the debate has changed a lot. And... We haven't done big marketing campaigns. We're in advanced beta. But we like to feel we've had something to do with that because we're changing the conversation. And we don't think it's a coincidence that organisations are trying to appear more artist-friendly, even if they're not giving the artists access to their own data or paying them very well. And is it easier to make a living now as a specialist musician, perhaps, than it was in the past, thanks to stations like Six Music as well, and the fact that people can access music so easily? Is that helping? Is there a flip side to this? I think the climate's very tough, particularly for, for smaller and medium bands. And I also do some blogging. It breaks my heart if I interview a brilliant band, they're around three or four years and then they give up because mm. they can't make it work. And although the um, you know, industry research says that artists make most money from touring at any level, um, Featured Artists Coalition have done some amazing work on this. At the same time, you know, if you're a newer artist, it is very expensive to tour and often you lose money. Yeah, I think it, it's an absolutely extraordinary concept to think that as an artist or band, you you might produce your life's work with a debut album. Whatever point you're at in your career, you've worked for maybe a year on, on this album and blood, sweat, tears and probably a lot of money has gone into to making this album. And then you just give it away. In what world is that normal? It's really not, and it does need to change. Or musicians need to be able to reap the rewards elsewhere. And I think that touring is absolutely key. That's the, the world of music that we now live in. But can a band keep coming back to the same town every few weeks? Not really. One thing that is very noticeable online is that artists are not giving music away free as much as they used to. The advice always used to be set everything to free on the platforms, you know, free download on SoundCloud or Bandcamp. People aren't doing that anymore because it's, you know, if you don't value your own music, then who's going to value it? Mm. I'm really curious about you taking on the big guns, Spotify, iTunes, for example. You're brave. Yes, absolutely. You have to be brave to, to change anything. But also there's a, a huge strength in presenting a different way of doing business. And that's very, very inspiring. We were part of a, a research project uh, with Cooperatives UK and Nesta about platform cooperatives. And um, there's you know huge scope for cooperatives to join together across the world to create a whole new music industry in countries where there isn't an industry yet and artists don't even have any mechanism of getting paid. And digital can help with that. But yes, we're brave, but we don't think we're foolish. Are you anti those two that I just mentioned? We're not anti, we're pro a fairer system and pro-choice. We think there's room for everybody and we think the way we've been embraced by a lot of labels show they want change for themselves and their artists as well. So what do you think they're doing wrong? 
I'm playing devil's advocate a little bit. I know, I can hear it, but that's absolutely fine. What are they doing wrong? I think there's a lot of lip service paid to being artist-friendly, but um, that's not necessarily carried through at every level, both financial and also data is a massive issue for musicians. Because look at people who, um, say, started off on MySpace and then the platform's in trouble. They can't take their fans with them. Data and fans and likes um, is very important. And also labels are finding it tricky in the digital landscape because they, um, they're not always represented. It's almost like they get kind of flipped over and people can access the music without going through any kind of label channel and labels do have a a role to play uh, even if it's increasingly like ninja tune um, on artist services label services rather than the the more traditional model I still want to come back to this point that you mentioned online being punk and it's it makes it easier to be more DIY with what you're doing and perhaps stations like six music supporting acts to have a live career is this the case like are is online the fact that you can distribute music yourself and that there are these recent i suppose six music you know in the last Mm. 15 years stations giving more niche music or alternative music a platform and uh, you know a springboard for bands to make a living through their live performance I think it's brilliant and it certainly has changed things because if you look at, I mean, every every town, every city has got some band that were brilliant locally and never got the chance to punch through or maybe even record and they're sort of local legends. And the fact that there is this access is fantastic. But at the same time, you've, it's very important for artists to, to be very proactive and in the debate at every level, whether it's AI or Imogen Heap with her Mycelia project, trying to make sure that artists get their, their rights and the tracks are identifiable so they can get any money due. And that's what's missing, I think, this this artist input. And when it comes to AI, there's a, a huge debate around that and whether AI curation means there's a, a sort of blandification of music. Liz Pelly has done some amazing research into playlists and how few women are on some of the playlists. And then if people are taking recommendations from playlists that are very skewed and biased, then you're reinforcing that and magnifying that. So all these are things that we need to find ways of artists does the algorithm affect things then? You know, as a band, do you worry about that sort of thing? Algorithms just pointing people in certain directions, maybe then towards you or, you know, being able to find things themselves? Or I think people have different experiences, but there's um, a track I love by a band called Sister Ray called Algorithm Prison, which I think, Chris, you might have played. Yeah. yeah and we've remixed. It. So, yes, I think there's, there's a danger and artists are very aware of that. And also there's um, automated music being made and algorithms being signed by a record company to make 26 albums. It's, it's there's a lot going on. I think algorithms have a, a useful purpose and, and can even be great, but what they don't have is any love. Yeah, and I it's think not like a human ear, is it? Exactly. Or a trusted guide as you are on That's beautifully music. put. My fear, I suppose, is that they have become, as a radio station, as streaming services, my fear is that they've become showcases for bands who then have to prove themselves and actually earn their crust by going out and playing live and it comes back to what I said earlier that I don't know if it's sustainable for bands to keep touring all year round 
One of the interesting things people talk about a lot at, at industry gatherings and conferences is how you can be very popular on a, a platform and uh, the algorithms love you and you can't fill a room. And that's a very interesting yeah. observation. Uh, that's a really interesting point, I think. And, and I would suggest that, that that is becoming an increasing problem for, for bands. And it is really tough breaking out of where you're from. You know, if you're a, a band that are big in Manchester, you're going to play your first gig in London to one man and his dog. And the positive flip side of that is that in the new social media world, at least one man and his dog might be the only people actually watching the show. But brilliantly on social media, no one knows how many people were there. You can make that sound like it was Live Aid. <laughs> it's all about the legend of yeah, the event. exactly. Yeah. Likewise, though, I can think of quite a few bands, I won't mention them, who have a huge audience but virtually, virtually get no mainstream well, media coverage. And that's because they built that audience yeah. online. And a good example, the Cortinas. Cortinas, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, and they Frank- play Heaton Park in Manchester, yeah. and I don't know what size venue they play Very in London. So tiny, yeah, and no one plays. Uh, one Frank of Turner is another really good example who did just started out touring relentlessly playing live similarly in the kind of music i play on radio 3 olafur arnold's for example can play the albert hall but gets very little airplay on mainstream radio but but touring as a new band is a really expensive business so i can can understand why so many bands end up falling by the wayside and then there's that very awkward moment where you're going up a level and you've been offered an amazing tour and then how do you deal with that because you won't be quite earning enough money to give up the day job there's yeah i love that uh, more and more bands are, are talking openly about the fact that they've got jobs. It's, it's like a, a glimpse behind the, the, the velvet curtain, if you like, and, and they're happy to admit, yeah, of course we've got day jobs. Bands like Hot Chip, who have top 10 albums, who are coming out and saying, yes, but we can't afford to live in London because yeah. we just don't make enough to yeah. live there. And, and, um, sorry. and is that that's because obviously the traditional industry is crumbling perhaps or it's certainly not as strong as it used to be so are we are you missing that as a musician are we missing that you know that that, that labels can't come and sign a band and say here's 50 grand or whatever to get your first record out I think that middle stage is under huge pressure and we need to try and support musicians. I mean, in other countries, they have amazing support for venues, which makes it easier and much more enjoyable and better paid for for artists to tour. And we should be doing something with a national level to try and support that. But I think what's noticeable is that record companies now, they want a safe bet. So therefore, they want people with X million streams, mostly, before they'll, they'll look at you. And that makes it much harder for people trying to to work up without support. I should mention as well, Independent Venue Week and Record Store Day, which are fantastic initiatives. Independent Independent Venue Week, especially just for supporting live music. And and one of my favourite venues, speaking of Independent Venue Week, this venue always takes part, the Hebden Bridge Trades Club. And our producer, Jeff Bird, has been down to visit it. It was awarded the UK's best small venue by Q Magazine, routinely puts on great musicians and bands to packed audiences, and it's also an independent venue owned by its members from the local area who manage everything from the day-to-day running and maintenance of the venue to putting on events for the wider community. So my name's Dale Bailey. I'm the general manager of the club and also an active member of the cooperative. I'm Michael Conish. I'm the secretary of the club and an active member. I'm Sarah Ross. I'm a member of the club and I'm also a volunteer. Well, the Trace Club was set up in 1923 
as a trade union centre. So it's almost 100 years old. So it's set up in the mid-80s as the, the modern incarnation of the trades club. The building at that time was fallen into disrepair, really, and lots of locals got together and decided to reopen it as a, an active social club. Um, it's only in recent years that it's transformed into a members' cooperative. But you don't have to be a member to come and enjoy gigs or the bar. So how would you describe the experience of the Trades Club? I think people love the Trades Club because it is so real. There's no fake to it at all. It's professional, it's professionally run, but you also see it warts and all. Who wants to tell us about some of the luminaries that have played here? Because it's a pretty stellar cast list, isn't it? We've had Addy Smith... Nick Lowe, Laura Marlin, uh, Lloyd Cole, an amazing band I remember from years back called the Scaremongers. Laura Vase, Pete Wiley, Andrew Weatherhall. But we also really champion young musicians. Tonight is it's the first night of Independent Venue Week, so it's a York showcase headlined by a band called The Howl and the Hum. Sound checking as we speak. They are sound checking as we speak. Yes, they are. What makes this place different? I think it's very much a community centre. Yes, as well as the the music, all sorts of different groups that use the the club in different ways. Home education groups. Chess club on Monday. The cooperative has a declared set of values. How much do you feel they align with how you go about things here? Well, totally, in terms of wanting to create a uh, more, more participatory economy, one which is more equal and that isn't just about making profit. We, we consider ourselves a non-profit, and cooperative values fit with that as a non-profit. I mean, we tweaked our cooperative values slightly to include the fact that the club has a history of being an independent socialist club, so you're signing up to values of common ownership and socialist principles when you join the club. Could you just dig into how a place like this works as a cooperative? What does it actually mean? To us, it means participation, solidarity and community. We try and minimise differentials in terms of wages. So there's a bunch of staff who are paid to work here and a whole load of members who are active. The club overall is run by a committee. They're also the directors of the cooperative and a lot of volunteers who are active members. People love getting involved with the, the club, particularly around the music. That's, I think that's, that's obviously the driver. I mean, we, we did a call out for door volunteers where somebody comes and does a couple of hours on the door and gets to see a band and, you know, potentially gets some free tickets down the line. And it's a couple of hours once or twice a month. And for that, you feel that you're included in the club and the running of it. So people want to be involved. We had to look at what would we do to be able to function as a business in a way that was consistent with our principles and the cooperative model best fitted with those principles. You have um, hundreds, if not thousands, over the years who come here from yeah. outside and all over the yeah. world to see gigs. And, of course, that inputs into the local economy. Right, so we're in the bar. It's very noisy. I'm Rui. Rui, and do you live in Hebden Bridge? Yeah, I live in Hebden Bridge. What are your names? Laura. Hi. Sophie. I come to a lot of events. We were talking about how nice it was to have different age. You know, so there's over 40s, but there's also younger, younger people enjoying the music. You don't feel intimidated here. It's, it's safe. I like being here. It's, you, you know, you've got people we know here. Um, I, I like the clubbing music. I, I dance with my daughter, go with my daughter, and we just really enjoy it. And it's cheap as well. It's, a good, it's affordable as well. <laughs> Our motivation is not making money for its sake of it. You know, it's providing a facility which should make money and hopefully does make money so it can keep going, but allows everybody to participate in it. Why do you think more clubs, particularly in communities like this, 
aren't run on a cooperative basis. Oh, knowledge, education, a lot to do with what people are used to and what they don't see, not, not seeing successful operations. It's just becoming clearer and clearer that it's possible to run not only individual businesses but the whole economy in a different way. And so you would recommend it heartily? Yes, this works fantastically well. It's, it's hugely important to this area and it, the history of cooperatives is embedded in this area. It would be impossible. It's impossible to think of the trades continuing as a standard capitalist business. Jeff Bird there at the fabulous Trades Club in Hebden Bridge, which is a cooperative. But speaking about venues and live music, just to come back to that point, Chris, is it really difficult for bands to make a living playing live? And I think it is. Uh, the, the whole idea of of pay to play, I think, was verging on criminal. How many times have musicians been asked by by friends, family members, to could you just come and do a couple of songs at, at, at our daughter's wedding, or can you come and just play the Christmas party for our works do well yeah but pay me to do it because that's my profession that desperation for bands to to get out and play which by the way is the only way surely any band can ever get better is by playing live in front of an audience and Terry as a musician is this resonating with you? I absolutely agree and also when it comes to recording your music if something's been road tested first you know what works you often bring all that into the studio with you and get get a much better result but to make a living you'd have to be out every single nights yeah it's really really tough it's not the only answer i think and we need a a portfolio of ways for artists to make a living okay well this brings us on to your big idea um tell us about it well the big idea is streaming uh but in a way that helps artists much more than they're being helped so far so it's ethical streaming fair trade music if you like where artists not only get paid more per stream, but they also get a share of profits and they have a say in how things are run and they can put forward ideas and and so on. So tell us how Resonate works then. How does it work as a cooperative? How do artists make money from it? Well, it's a streaming cooperative, so we're streaming, but also in future going to be incorporating artist services to have quite a, a 360 offering. And it's a pay-as-you-go streaming model, so people pay per stream. And artists get paid. At the moment, our payouts are twice what other leading streaming services offer. The system is called Stream to Own. After nine streams, the listeners paid the equivalent of a download, and then can own the track. How much per stream? It starts off very small to encourage um, people to explore and listen. So it starts off at, I think it's 0.002, and then it goes up incrementally as people like the artists and their music more. And so each increment adds up to the price of a download. So nine streams is equal to a download. Yeah. And that's just, a, is that about a euro then, did you say? Or yes. slightly yeah. less than a euro? Yeah. But other services, it takes 200, 200. to get to that yeah, level. But yeah. remember, when you used to buy a CD single, it would be like three ninety nine. Yeah. So a euro for a song, all that work that goes into making that song, getting it out there. And for a euro, you can own it now. I know it's incredible how things have changed. Also very interesting that a lot of artists, especially emerging artists, will always have vinyl now at shows to buy because Mm. that's a way they can make money. But that started with the tech giants. And the important thing is to try and take control of that and make sure that artists are getting the rewards. 
So how does this work then practically? How do artists become stakeholders and get involved in this project? Okay, well for us at Resonate, it's very easy. An artist uploads a track, they become a member for free and that gives them voting rights on big meetings and so on and they get paid. We've had about three quarters of a million paid streams and paid out on average twice as much per stream as other leading platforms. And how far are you from seriously rivaling the big companies, Spotify, Apple Music? We're not looking at it in that way because we feel that we're primarily for people who um, are very passionate about music. For them, it's a, a necessity. The audience, you mean? They're the active audience. listeners. They're not just putting on you know, a playlist to cook pasta by. Um, we're very much into human <laughs> curation. But we think... You know, there is huge potential to to grow outwards from there. And one thing that's very significant about what we're doing is that we're starting off, you know, in a very grassroots way with members. They bring in other members as artists join. They bring in their fans. And it's a business model that means, you know, you can make money through that system. If you look at a lot of the other streaming platforms, they don't make money. Their, Their model is not revenue generating. They may be, you know, getting investment and paying out some money, but are they actually on solid ground? No, at least we know we have a, a potentially life-changing way of doing things to musicians around the world. And how is it more sustainable? Um, it's more sustainable because you're, you know, because artists can get paid more, but also with the power of cooperatives. I mean, without you, the investors. Without the investors, um, yeah. because um, of the payments from, from listeners. And from is money. marketing it yeah. then to listeners, is that a challenge? Is that going to be a problem? Well, we haven't run a marketing campaign yet because we're not officially launched. We've been getting great coverage in um, Wired and Resident Advisor and Guardian and Independent and so on. And there is a, a very much a, a global aspect to all this, which is people are really questioning big systems and you know money-making systems around the world and looking for new ways of doing things. And it's not just in music, it's all across the board. And when I was at a um, research meeting with Cooperatives UK and Nesta, in the room there was a, a cooperative taxi company and a power company and a phone company. And cooperatives are already generating trillions in income. And there is the potential for very integrated systems. So people discover a new artist through streaming, the artist gets paid fairly, and you can incorporate a cooperative ticketing service and a cab home service and and that kind of thing. I think it's brilliant what you're doing. The idea seems quite straightforward, which is always always good. But what, what I worry about is that it's a race against time. When the record industry got caught with its pants down, when CDs went out of fashion and streaming came along, I worry that there will be something else before this can provide the service that you intend it to. Well, the thing about being a community with lots of members who have a stake in it is that there's a huge amount of strength there. And that means strength to to try new things out, to deal with things that come up along the way. So if, you know, MySpace wasn't, it, there was a community of people listening to music but there wasn't a sort of MySpace community of artists who were part of it. It sort of sounds like you're getting close to providing the services that in the old days a label would. That's not what we're aiming for. There's room for everybody and we have lots of amazing labels on our platform like Hyperdub and 
Planet Moo and so on. So we're not aiming to replace labels. I'm not suggesting it's a bad thing, but no, I'm, no, I'm but just wondering whether there's any point in a band de- being desperate to get signed to a label when they can come straight to you and they can get showcased. I mean, I've, I can talk all day about that, but a lot of bands don't feel as much point because they don't get enough support and they might as well do it all themselves. That's why there's this huge... You've got sort of big labels and a lot of self-releasing artists. And what are labels doing that you don't do? Labels do um, PR. They often put on shows or organise bookings, can organise recording. It varies hugely. That's not to say there isn't a huge movement out there of artists who are doing it all themselves and, and self-releasing, and there is room for both. Well, that's kind of, for me, one of the, the solutions to the problem that we've been talking about, is that bands, yes, it's brilliant to be in a band, and, you know, I, we, those of us that have never been in one and will never be in a band, I think we'll always look with envy at those that are. And, but what I would say is that, and advice that I would give as an old man to any young band would be, yes, enjoy every single second of the performance the recording, the studio time, being in a band, but spare a bit of time to be businesslike about the way that you run the band. So you need to be on streaming services like yours, Terry. You need to have great merch. That is a really good way of, of bands making money. So long as, by the way, venues are not taking a cut from merch stores. It's an outrageous amount of money that some venues are asking for you to be able to sell your merch. You've gone on stage, you've performed at that venue, you've sold X amount of pints behind the bar, and then you're being charged to sell T-shirts. And by the way, that amount of money, it's significant for the band. It's peanuts to those big venue owners. So to take 25%, that's outrageous. But I do think for those venues that that don't do that, and thankfully it's the majority, I think that the merch is important. And I think perhaps a change in mindset long term that can persuade my daughter, who's 10, and kids of that age, that they have to pay for music and invest in it. That, I think, is possibly key. I think your advice is brilliant. And certainly I know enough bands who have not been able to sell merch at venues with crazy prices even very reputable venues do this um, because they can't afford to do things at a a loss but uh, artists are having to be more business like and there's some great training around featured artists coalition run artist entrepreneur days because that's what you have to do Mm. these days yeah I think yes if you're in a band enjoy the sex drugs and rock and roll but do spend five minutes thinking about the future of the band as well I mean it's not this is not necessarily about competing or competing with or replacing labels or promoters or you know the big players in the industry this is about working with musicians and other organizations who have similar values to you Absolutely. And values are important in any business. And also across the world, people are questioning values. People are crying out for for different value-led approaches, if you like. And we find this in our conversations with labels, that one of the reasons, you know, some quite big labels want to have their artists on our platform is because they believe in something that is more value-led and they see that they have an identity and they embrace that because we make sure we have label pages so they're not kind of cut out as they are in some other markets. So we have DIY people, we have artists experimenting, a lot of experimental sound art, and we have people like Hyperdub who put the newest burial release up and we're very excited to have all of them. 
what seems like a good idea would be if the if the artist that uh, you're streaming could could find out who's listening to them that that seems like that would be really useful information for for an act for a band it is absolutely crucial information and so helpful when you're trying to work out where to play, where your fans are, who, who's the most engaged. And we think data is an issue that's often overlooked for artists, sometimes because people are deliberately keeping artist data away from the artists or because the artists don't understand it. And we're building mechanisms to enable artists to own their own data. We don't let anyone else have the artist data. Um, it's a, a very you know, private thing, and artists should absolutely have control of their data. And as a musician in five years' time, how would you like to be engaging with, with these services and services like it? I think in five years' time, it'd be amazing for there to be a, a much more open landscape so artists are able to have a, a much more sustainable career. In a way, we often see in other European countries where there's more uh, basic funding at, at um, beginner level, if you like, for both artists and the venues they, they need to play. And so a very sort of open relationship with, with streaming platforms where artists know that when they've got you know, music on the platform, our platform, that they will get a fair reward and be able to communicate easily with their fans as well. For musicians, how easy is it for them to start up a, an organisation like Resonate? I think for an individual musician, it would be really difficult because we've had um, years of proof of concept, of coders coming together on a voluntary basis. I mean, there's a people think, oh, you just switch it on. That's, that's not true. Any kind of big development and a music player is, is massive. But in terms of artists coming together to create new ways of doing business, I think that's something that, you know, is easy to do. And also we're seeing... Organisations that aren't yet cooperatives, but are collectives who are doing amazing things. I have a lot of experience with some organisations around women in music. Uh, loud women get in her ears. They put on shows. They have blogs. They have you know radio shows as well. And that kind of collective heading towards cooperative action is definitely yeah. the way So forward. you'd like to see more communities of artists uh, creating these things and creating similar kinds of services and... Absolutely. Do you think what you're saying is all a bit clinical? I'm astonished. I think it's absolutely the opposite. It's warm, it's joyful, it's collaborative, it's human-centric. It feels a long way from w walking into a, a pub and seeing a band play live and falling in love with that band. How? People have their phones, they might stream music on the way yeah, there. No, it just doesn't feel very rock and roll. Are you a Luddite? I must be. <laughs> Well, lots of food for thought there. Thank you to my guests, Terry Tilsley and Chris Hawkins. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. To hear future episodes of More Than A Shop, subscribe to the podcast at morethanashop.coop or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than A Shop is a collaboration between Cooperatives UK, the Co-op, Co-op News, the Cooperative College and the Cooperative Heritage Trust. The series is presented by me, Elizabeth Holker, and it's produced by Jeff Bird on behalf of Spark Lab Productions.